to Leader You by Black River Performance Management, where we believe work should fuel the human spirit, not drain it. In this leadership podcast, we will dive into the lived experiences of people flourishing in today's workplace and beyond. Join us to hear real-life examples of experiences from our own lives and from the leaders we know and trust. All right. Thank you for listening to the Leader You podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce our guest, Alex Bollinger. He is the ICCU, that's Idaho Central Credit Union, for those of you non-Idahoans, endowed professor of management at Idaho State University. He earned his PhD in management from the David Eccles School of Business at the University of Utah and teaches classes on leadership, negotiation, and decision-making. Bollinger's research focuses on team dynamics, leadership, and entrepreneurship, and has appeared in the Harvard Business Review and Academy of Management Review, among other outlets. He's an advocate of active approaches to learning. Uh, Students in his classes have raised over $10,000 for the Make-A-Wish Foundation of Idaho, have worked in teams to write multiple popular press books about the historic histories of local organizations, and have taken home more than a dozen trophies from the International Collegiate Business Strategy Competition in Anaheim, California. Bollinger is a three-time finalist of ISU's Outstanding Faculty Awards for Teaching, Research, and Service. He has been named ISU Professor of the Year by the Associated Students of Idaho State. Thank you for being on the podcast today, Alex. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you about negotiation uh, since it is one of the leadership competencies we help people to develop. And this podcast is specifically designed to give free access for of tidbits, wisdom, and um, just some some real help in people being able to build those skills. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for this invitation. Excited to join you. Yeah. So do you want to start off with just sharing your story of how, you know, f- the, the, the basics that take you from how you got to where you are today? Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, I'm from uh, Southeast Idaho, grew up in American Falls, so had the chance to go to ISU, um, majored in management there and got my MBA at ISU and um, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do next and had some really influential professors in the College of Business who really enjoyed what they were doing and seemed to be making a real impact um, in the community. And so I thought that sounded like a lot of fun. And Eventually kind of made my way to um, the David Eccles School of Business at the University of Utah, as you mentioned, Um, got my PhD in management, and then started my career in the Penn State system, uh, the Penn State Brandywine campus just outside of Philadelphia. So I had the chance to teach back east, and that was interesting and and fun. And then uh, an opportunity opened at ISU, and it was sooner than I expected, but um, the person I was uh, would be the job that was opening, um, the person had been there for 35 years, which gives you a sense for what a, a great job it is at ISU. And so I thought if it's going to be another 35 years, I better throw my hat into the ring and um, was able to get the job and the rest is history. Nice. So how long have you been back in Southeast Idaho teaching at ISU? Just a little over a decade now. Okay. That's some time. Got some time under your belt. Have had a lot of students. Indeed. Yeah. All right, so let's get into the story about uh, what your thoughts are on negotiation. When you're teaching classes, when you're working with industry, what are some of the key things that you're teaching your students on that? Yeah, well, I think one of the things to acknowledge to start with, and, and this is something I've learned over the years, 
with, as you mentioned, so many groups of students who've come through my classes, um, negotiation is not necessarily something that everyone takes to. And in fact, it can kind of be an intimidating thing, right? Because it often, I think people associate it with difficult conversations and with conflict and a lot of the things that we like to tend to avoid. And yet, boy, as a leader, you have to negotiate, right? I mean, that's, that's a part of the job. And so one of the things we talk about um, are first off acknowledging that discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. And recognizing that some people might be more um, open to that initially than others. And then so after sort of recognizing that, then saying, okay, what, what are some ways that we can frame negotiation in terms of its productive potential? And we talk about negotiation really sort of in three different ways. Um, it's a way to resolve disputes. So when there are conflicts, it's a um, often with the assistance of a mediator, for example. Mm -hmm. um, it's a way to get better deals, which I think is what oftentimes we associate negotiation with. And then the third is it's a way to manage interdependencies. And, and in any organizational setting, you're going to be independent, interdependent with others, right? And so it's a way... Rather than you versus me, it's a way that we can collectively make decisions. And I think framing negotiation from that perspective makes it a lot less intimidating mm -hmm. um, because it's no longer you and me across the table, but rather we're on the same side of the table trying to reach an agreement that's a win for both of us. Absolutely. I do think there is a kind of a stereotype of it being a difficult conversation, like you said, or... Um, it's going to be aggressive. It's going to be uncomfortable. And, and it is if you haven't really built the skills. Anything that you haven't worked on is going to be a challenge. Uh, just like if you were playing tennis, you'd be not very good out on the court your first day, right? But working through some of these things and getting some tips uh, on how to, well, one of the things that I, I, I see negotiation is is needing some emotional intelligence skills. You really have to be able to understand yourself and how you're coming across and then understand, read the room, understand body language, figure out what this person, you know, if, if they are upset or, or these kinds of things so that you can kind of adapt and be empathetic in certain situations, looking for that win-win instead of the ego coming out and being like, it's me or you, me versus you. There's got to be a loser. It's a winner or a loser situation. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, you know, and um, there's a, a lot of research now on on the effects of emotions in negotiation. And um, I think a lot of concern around, for example, when, you know, I think a lot of times the stereotype of the tough negotiator is the person who comes in and strategically shows anger to try to win concessions from the other side, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think you're right. Part of um, sort of being able to counteract that is to to come in and say, well, what's underlying that emotion? Is this is this strategic on their part? Is it that they're sincerely angry? And if so, kind of what's the root of that? Mm -hmm. And then to be able to tackle the problem rather than it becoming a, about the personalities, right? right? So just being able to set that piece aside. Yeah. So what are some of the things you talk about, like strategically coming up with multiple uh, scenarios that the person, so that there's not just one or two solutions, there's going to be a lot of different solutions or uh, ways of solving a problem instead of it's only it's white or black. Right. Absolutely. Well, and I, I, to your point, I think one of the, the biggest takeaways from my classes um, that I try to, to share with my students is that 
probably 80 to 90% of negotiation success happens before you sit down across the table, right? Or on the phone or whatever it would be in, t- in today's age, right? When you're negotiating, yeah. um, it, it has to do with the preparation that you do going into the negotiation. And um, we talk about that in, in multiple different ways. One of, one of the key things to recognize is what we call your BATNA. It's your best alternative to a negotiated agreement. And really what that means is if, if I can't reach an agreement in this negotiation, what's my next best alternative? What do I have to fall back on? Mm-hmm. And that's important because that gives you a sense for how hard you can push, where, how much power you've got in that negotiation. Um, it also gives you a better sense. You can start to build ideas around, like you said, right? What are the different ways in which, what, what are different outcomes that would achieve the goal that I'm looking for, right? And are there sort of multiple ways of getting there? Um, and you you can't know that unless you know where the win is. Mm-hmm. And recognizing that takes some preparation before you even sit down to the table. Right. And I would have to say that listening <laughs> is a really... It was a skill that's super important in in negotiation because you really need to hear what the person wants and is needing and what's important to them. And that's a skill that also needs work um, for most of us. A lot of times we're listening to respond instead of actually listening to find out what's important to that person and what they need to get out of it. Mm -hmm, For sure. Well, and you know, it's interesting too, because ooftentimes in negotiations, people tend to play their cards a little bit close to the best, right? Mm -hmm. There's, there's maybe a lack of trust just because of the way that it's seen as kind of an adversarial situation. And so not only is, I mean, in terms of listening, right, it's not only hearing what they're saying, but also thinking through what are the kinds of questions I need to ask for them to be comfortable enough to share at least enough information that we can start to get at mutual solutions, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, uh, asking the right questions, listening to the answers, it, and sincerely listening, like you said, rather than just sort of using it as a pause before you make your next point, those are critical skills. Yeah. So being curious would be a skill for, for finding out more, uh, finding out what's important, and and actually maybe finding out where you both see this see see the thing, same things or where do you connect and where are you uh, making connections and being able to you know come to the table in an agreement at some somewhere close to the same arrive at the same spot right for sure you know and that's that's a it's a point that i think sometimes gets overlooked with negotiation is that um you have opportunities to create value when you have differences between the two sides, whether it's differences in your needs or differences in your perceptions of the situation or, or what have you, right? When there, are, when there are those differences, then you have opportunities to reach agreements that where you can sort of trade on those and, and leverage them. And I think people sometimes forget that. They sort of say, oh, we're so different. There's no way we're going to be able to reach an agreement. And actually, I would argue that the more you can leverage those differences, the more likely you are to actually create value in that process. Absolutely. One of the other things that I think is important is knowing that person's behavioral style, whatever kind you utilize, or what, uh, just being able to kind of read people and know if they're super direct. Um, like we use DISC, right? So I can tell right away if somebody's direct to the point. And if that's where they are, I would want to kind of meet them at that at that communication style, because that's their preferred communication style. 
versus uh, somebody that's maybe an S that's a little slower paced, slower to change, going to need some time to think about it, wants it all in writing. So understanding who the person is and what their behavior, their preferred kind of like their love language for communication, what that is, is very helpful in just thinking what your approach might be. Would you have any other tips like for approach and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, well, you know, maybe just to comment on, on the point that you make, I think that's an incredibly important one. And certainly personality comes through when you've got face-to-face -face communication and a negotiation. Um, maybe even to take that a step further, right, there are also broader sort of cultural factors at play. Um, it, your, your, your example there reminds me of a story um, of negotiators um, working with cultures, for example, um, in the East, right, where... Um, there's a, a very different sort of time frame for negotiation. Mm -hmm. So there are certain cultures where um, you have to sit down and have two or three meals with your counterpart before it would be considered appropriate to talk business, right? Mm -hmm. um, building that relationship is just so critical. And coming from Western cultures, especially the United States, we tend to be real time focused and just get down to business, right? And that completely destroys any trust building opportunities that you would otherwise have. I would, I can agree with that firsthand. I lived in Shanghai for a few years and, uh, and it was one of those things where you had to learn to slow down. You had to do everything that would build face with, with the culture, with the people that you were working with. And, and you would do, you'd be needed, want to eat some of the food that they did. You know, even if it was something you didn't like, you eat it. If they give you a shot, you drink it. <laughs> like, it's one of the things that you just do it because there is no relationship if it's offensive if you don't go through these different processes. And so I love that you're bringing in the international piece where, um, you know, it depends on your, your audience who you're negotiating with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, of, oftentimes negotiations, international negotiations have run aground in the past. I think people are getting more sensitive to that as the world sort of gets smaller in some ways with communication and so forth. Absolutely. Uh, so what are some of the biggest negotiations you've got to be a part of that you've had some really great takeaways on? So I'll tell you the, the thing that has been one of the most fulfilling parts of the class that I teach. So, so I teach, as you mentioned, uh, an MBA class at, at ISU in the College of Business on negotiation and decision making. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a combined class. And it turns out that those two topics are very complementary because often negotiations are sort of the mechanism through which collective decisions happen. Um, but the end uh, requirement, the end assignment for that class is what we call a real world negotiation paper. And the assignment is to negotiate for something of value in the real world and then to write about it, applying the principles that we've talked about all semester in the class. Nice. Um, yeah, so it's been a lot of fun. And over the years, I think there have been dozens of homes that have been purchased and cars that have been purchased using sort of right negotiated for with um, the skills from that class, um, job advancement, um, negotiating for new positions, lots of people who are starting out, sort of going out into their careers or, or shifting to a new career or a different path. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, some of the most interesting negotiations are um, not nearly that sort of headline making. Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, I've had negotiations with parents and small children, for example, over bedtime um, or over uh, between partners about who will do the dishes, you know, those kinds of things. And what's where you interesting, eat, where we're going to eat. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff that seems kind of mundane and everyday. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about it is that when you apply the principles of negotiation to those kinds of things, um, it it takes you out of just sort of focusing on yourself and it, there's sort of that broader focus on, okay, what are the, what's the win for the other person too. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people have said that's been a real beneficial thing sort of personally is in addition to their professional lives. Yeah. And it's a good place to start uh, so that you can build it for the bigger things. Uh, just starting, right. starting small, those little baby steps and with your kids, that's a great place to start negotiating, especially if you have toddlers. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Every day is a negotiation. <laughs> exactly. With who's going to dress you? <laughs> All of those kinds of things. Well, um, what are some of the challenges that you see in negotiations besides yeah. that it being difficult and what the perceptions about it? Right. Yeah. Several. I mean, you know, I, I could probably talk all day about, you know, different barriers that, that come up over the course of the class that we talked about these things, but um, I would say one of the big ones is um, sort of the way that so much communication now is electronically mediated, mm-hmm. right? It's one thing to negotiate face-to-face, but it's completely different when you're negotiating um, over the phone or now increasingly just via email, mm-hmm. right? It, it changes a lot of those dynamics and it changes the way in which you can create trust mm-hmm. and so I think that that's one of the great challenges that people are experiencing now. Um, so many negotiations, even you know, 10, 15 years ago, were face-to-face or at least over the phone. Um, and now increasingly you're negotiating with someone in much more impersonal terms. And so how do you, how do you foster that trust? How do you uh, facilitate some of the things we talk about in a face-to-face context, but when you don't have sort of that social presence? Absolutely. I've seen that in our business that um, sometimes we will meet with a client, you know, find out their needs, do an assessment, like in a discovery call, figure out what would be some possible interventions and things. And, um, you know, then write up a proposal and then it goes dark. Right. So then you're like, you want to re-engage them and maybe you're over their budget. Maybe, you know, whatever, probably most likely that's why they're not responding. But um, we're open to a negotiation and finding out how we can work with people. But I've noticed that oftentimes people aren't, when, when they see a price or they see, well, that's out of my, my price range, or they just stop and then they actually ghost you. And so it's like, well, you're the leader of this company and you want some help. So come negotiate with us and let's talk about, or where could we start? What are some of the things that we could do to get you going this year? And like, like we can make a longer term plan, but sometimes I just don't see a min, a lot of leaders uh, willing to negotiate. They just see a price tag and they just think that's it. And it's not it. It's never, right. it. there's always room for negotiation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. right? I mean, it's a different conversation. If mm. you were, interacting with them face to face, right? Mm-hmm. You could see the, the look on their face if they're sort of, you know, the, that look of resignation or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you could follow up more proactively. So it does create some challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say this, um, one of the things that's been a really interesting development is um, about seven years ago, um, so this class, my negotiation class, we do role plays in class. And 
historically we've always been face to face and you know the for example it could be one person takes the role of a, a, a candidate for a job and the other is the recruiter and they're negotiating over eight items to for this person to then be able to take that job right that kind of thing um, but increasingly um, about seven years ago we started offering the class also online synchronously via zoom mm-hmm. and I had all kinds of concerns about my goodness how is that going to change the dynamic and it does it does change it it's a different conversation slightly um, I think it still helps to have you know the better technology gets the more it feels like you've got that social presence in person but um, I think that you're right I think that um, students have had to adjust and mm-hmm. I think it's been really interesting to see the differences because um, I teach typically will teach one in-person class and also one section um, online via zoom sort of in the same semester wow that would that sounds like an amazing class um, I know you have another class coming up we can talk about later too because I think it's really a great class that would be helpful for anybody um, I'm thinking specifically, I work with a lot of women's groups, uh, and I do a lot of speaking for women's groups, and I know that negotiation is one of the one of the topics that comes up a lot because uh, women tend to be paid less in, in many organizations. I've had it happen to me where there's been a male in the role, and it's like I have the same qualifications. I know many women who go through this. And so do you have any specific tips or even classes for women specifically when they're in a, a male dominated profession. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me just sort of reinforce what you said. I think that's such an important point. Um, Linda Babcock about 15 years ago wrote a book and the title sort of says it all. Um, her, her thesis was women don't ask. And the idea was right. That things that would be seen as normative for a man to ask about to negotiate would be seen differently. Um, if a woman sort of made the same ask, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are absolutely challenges. I, I, I think that those norms are starting very slowly to shift a little bit, which is great news. They need to move faster, right? Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, it, it does create a real dilemma. Um, I One of the things I, I tell, especially when, when I'm talking to, to female students, and I think this is also true for, for any negotiator, but um, you know, especially if you're sort of in that position, it's important to, as you make an ask, right, or as you are negotiating, to not let your offer speak for itself. So in other words, right, it's not just to say, well, I want this in salary and this in benefits and so forth, but it's really important to communicate, I'm making this offer because, or I'm, I'm asking for this because I'm worth it, right? This is the value that I'm going to add to your company, value in terms of A, B, and C, mm-hmm. right? And being very specific about that and reminding them that, that value, the value is associated with that, you know, and making that connection and, and not just letting the offer speak for itself. Um, I mean, it's important for anyone, but I think especially um, as women are sort of put in that position, I think it's especially important for them. Yeah, that's a great point. So uh, I think one of the challenges is them seeing their worth. <laughs> and And when you don't feel the worth, then you don't want to ask for it. It's like, mm-hmm. well, this is just good enough, right? Like, or I guess this is what I, the cards I'm always going to be dealt with. It's kind of a fixed mindset, really, of, it, and I, I fell into it. I will have to tell you, in my 20s and early 30s, I, I was definitely a victim to it, but I allowed that. Um, not any longer. It took some years and some really hard mistakes where you're like, 
oh, I'm not going to do that again because you find out you find out later. You always find out what the other person's making that started with you or whatever. And so then you really start to advocate for yourself. And yeah. I think that's a challenge for younger people as well is just self-advocacy. Um, and so all of these pieces, negotiation has a lot of skills incorporated into it. Yeah. And, and I think too, and this is, something I, I'm so grateful that you and your organization do, uh, you know, are building this is that I think mentorship is so incredibly important. You know, having someone who can provide that support and who can kind of be a mirror and say, hey, no, you do have value and I see it, right? Even when you don't see it in yourself, uh, that's incredibly important. It is absolutely. And getting people with that experience to kind of walk alongside you and help you script the conversation. One of the things I do with some of my coaching clients is script out conversations, like a difficult conversation, a negotiation conversation, and and get them comfortable with doing it with me first before they go to their boss or before they go to the next person so that when they do go, they know it's been looked over by somebody that's non-biased and not emotionally attached to the situation. Um, and so you can look and make sure they're having some diplomacy intact as they're uh, doing the ask because you also don't want to go in with attitude and I, I deserve it. And you know, this kind of thing, it's more like, this is my worth. These are the, these are, the, this is my why that this is the beliefs that I have that this is what's why I'm asking for this much. And this is the value I'm going to add. Yeah. I think that's so important. That's, you know, the, in our classes with the role plays, one of the things I tell them is this is your opportunity to try things out without actually risking money, right? Or having the stakes on the table and you can make mistakes, you can try different things. And like you said, it's a safe place to do that. And that's so important. That's what I love about higher ed is just a safe place to make mistakes. And with that, when the stakes are low, <laughs> the stakes are really low. And so you get to practice, 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 fail, fail, fail. And you get it in the real world too. But one of the things I do think about negotiation is if there's always a lose-lose situation, you are eventually going to lose that relationship. It will not maintain if there is never any kind of, whether that's a marriage or with your child or with a, a customer, anybody, if if you got to win, and, and this comes into ego, um, our ego always wants us to be right. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll fight, and we'll right yeah. fight. We'll right fight. Just to so whenever you I, I, I always when I feel myself, when I feel my ego coming up or burning up, you know, just kind of like Ugh, I have to ask myself, I stop and I ask myself the question, do you want to be right or do you want this relationship? And yeah. in that that space that I create there just to check myself before I wreck myself, you know, just this right. is not I want this relationship. What's most important to me is the relationship. And we can try to figure out something for this person and something for me, but we might not both get exactly what we're looking for here. Yeah, it's so true. Or you might get it in a way that you didn't maybe expect, right? Sort of initially. Um, to your point, you know, and maybe this is building on it a bit, but I, I think this is worth mentioning. Um, one of the things I do talk about is that not every negotiation will ultimately reach a, an agreement from both sides, right? There are some negotiations where there, the it just the structure may not be aligned to where it's you're better off walking away, mm -hmm. right? And 
and recognizing that and being able to do, to do that on good terms, that's a whole skill set in and of itself. It is in and of itself, right? Like, and, and being able to be okay with it and, and yeah. not, and not have it keep you up at night forever that like, this is sometimes how it is. Sometimes it's just, it's how life works. Yeah. So let's see, we have a little bit more time. Um, do you have some books or articles that you recommend as it relates to, de- uh, to negotiation and even decision-making since those two are so closely related? Yes, for sure. So one of my all-time favorite books on negotiation is called Getting to Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, there are several authors. I should, should have the book in front of me, should have brought it with me, but um, it's available, you know, widely distributed, very, very popular book. It's probably 30 years old now. So it's, it's um, kind of timeless wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea is um, very similar to what we've been talking about today. It's, it's sort of saying, okay, where is the opportunity to create value and how do you get to that point? And so um, it's a great overview of the fundamentals of negotiation and a very digestible, uh, very accessible um, read. Nice. So, is that a good yeah. audible? Some aren't that great yeah. at audible. Yeah, that would be great. I, I, I assume it's available on audible and it would be a, that would be a, a pretty easy listen. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. Um, in terms of decision making, the the book that I use is one of my textbooks is called Smart Choices. Um, it's from several authors who um, worked for the Harvard Business School, um, and it's a really, really nice framework. It's it's the framework that we use in my class um, for deciding among alternatives when those decisions are difficult or uncertain or involve risk or any of the above. Um, again, not a hard read, um, but very insightful. Um, they 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 really break things down in a way that's very accessible. And um, I've gotten feedback over the years that um, among the, the textbooks that students keep, that tends to be kind of at the top of their list. Oh, that's so. great! Great information. So, tell us a little bit about the the future leadership that you've got coming up. Yes, thank you. So, I'm I'm really excited about this class. So, um, this spring um, we're going to be teaching a, an eight week course, and it's going to be really dealing with kind of the situation that we find ourselves in sort of societally, right? This, mm-hmm. this idea of you know, what, is, what is work going to look like in the future? And um, how, how is it that that future came so quickly, right? It's just, especially in the last two or three years, um, it's been very disorienting in some ways, how quickly things seem to have changed with remote work, right? With mm-hmm. record low unemployment, um, the Great Resignation, which has been making headlines, quiet quitting, um, all of those themes, boomerang employees and so forth. So we're going to talk about each of those in turn, and we're going to talk a little bit about what leadership looks like and is going to look like in this new world. Um, uh, the sort of feature of this class, and, and this is also something that we're just really excited about um, in February, so February 15th and 16th, um, Dr. Anthony Klotz is going to be coming to Pocatello. Um, He's a professor of management at University College in London, and he coined the term the Great Resignation um, back uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. He saw it coming and um, predicted sort of what has all played out and um, has kind of become the go-to among media outlets in in the business world. Um, So if you see a a business article on employment trends on CNN or, you know, any CNBC, that kind of thing. He's probably one of the people that they'll reference or even interview. Um, so it's amazing to have someone of that caliber coming to Pocatello. 
Um, and he's going to give a master class to, to our students. And then we're also working out some details to see if he um, will be able to give a presentation to the public as well. So um, I'll know more details about that here in the next couple of weeks. So if anyone's interested in learning more, um, they can email me um, and I'll be able to keep them posted on that. Oh, that's so amazing. I wish I was going to be in town. I would totally take the class and I would be there. I'll be traveling the month of February, but um, I hope that our listeners, that they are, it's something that they'll be able to do as well. um, Are there any tips or wisdom that you, you know, maybe some things that you wished you knew about negotiation when you were starting out? Yeah, I I think maybe three things that I would would, uh, sort of give as as sort of general advice, especially for someone like you said, who's starting out. Um, The first is to know where the win is for you, right? What what does a good outcome look like? Because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times um, it's really easy to sort of go into a negotiation, but not really know what you're looking for, what you're hoping to get out of it, right? And um, if, if you have kind of a sense for that, then if the other side is able to offer you something that maybe isn't, isn't what you thought, but actually meets what you were hoping, right? Actually meets your goals in a different way, then you'll be able to identify that. So I think that's really important. I think it's also incredibly important to know what your alternatives are, right? And one of the, I, I talk to a lot of students who are just starting out on the job market, right? And one of the things we talk a lot about is um, the more alternatives and the better your alternatives, um, the easier the negotiation is and the more uh, leverage you've got and so we talk about things like, you know, making sure that you cultivate opportunities, that you work with mentors, um, that you do a lot of the legwork long before you're actually interviewing with companies so that you've got those opportunities and, and continuing to cultivate those opportunities. Absolutely. And then, and yeah, yeah. And then I think the final one um, that's really important is also to not sort of just settle for the best or the, what's good enough, right? But also to think through what, you know, to, to set a target, to set a goal and to say, you know, this is, um, this is something that would be a really nice outcome for me. Um, and the reason that's important is that if you just sort of settle for something that is good enough, um, that gets you above your best alternative, let's say it's not that that's bad, but you're probably leaving cash on the table. Right? And so, um, it's, it's kind of this good, good enough, but then also better and best and recognizing what those are. And hopefully, moving closer to the best, right, um, and along that gradient. Yeah, I think our brains really want to, we don't know what we want. We have to really think about what we want. We all know what we don't want. <laughs> and regardless if that's what to eat or where to go, we know, no, I'm not in the mood for that. I don't want that. But I, even the coaching clients I have, many times they don't know what they want. They don't know what done looks like. They don't know what best case scenario is and that takes some time to reflect and it takes work to think through what are some of the possible outcomes what would i be satisfied with and so i think sometimes we do just settle for like yeah that's better right. you know and and so how do you how do you get people to create a practice where they set some time aside to reflect and think through create space when there's you know competing yeah. things, competing time and all of this type of stuff that gets in the way yeah. of the barriers? Oh, yeah. It's a great question. It's a great point. You know, I, one of the things we do in, in class, and I, rec- I commend this to any negotiator, is I, I ask students to do a pre-negotiation plan, a strategy plan, 
And mm. there are a series of bullet point questions that they're asked to fill out. And it might take, you know, maybe 20 to 30 minutes tops um, as they're kind of preparing for each of the role plays that they do in class. But these are questions that have to do with, to your point, right? It's not just sort of what's your best alternative and what do you think the other party is going to do, but also what would a really good outcome look like to you, right? And what are some things, I mean, what are your goals? So it really sort of forces you to, to take that step back. And I, th I think there's a, a real tyr tyranny of the urgent, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the things that are urgent every day kind of crowd out the stuff that's super important, but sometimes you've just got to block out that time. And maybe an upcoming negotiation is that opportunity to sort of say, okay, I've got to block this into my calendar because this is, this is crucial and the rubber is going to meet the road here very quickly. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. I just remembered what I was going to say a little bit ago, and that was that a futuristic thinking is one of the uh, leadership competencies that we discuss. And I have one podcast on here with Ron Price, who was one of my mentors, and he's the CEO of TTI Success Insights. And he is he talks about um, creating a... a, a practice of becoming more of a futuristic thinker, setting time in your schedule, doing all these types of things. And one of the books he recommends is The Future is Faster Than You Think. And that's one that I listened to on Audible uh, this past year. And there was some really crazy research going on and things that, and, and just things that you might not think about, um, just to like get your, your mind going about AI and all the things that that are coming our way. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, but he had some really great tips in that one on the future of leadership. And I really, really value his input. He's, he's been a global leader and helped many organizations. Um, so I, that's what it was. It was related to that, that question, but, um, that's it, great. It's, yeah. It's I, I'm looking forward to reading that. And I think you're right. You know, I think at the end of the day that we don't know, exactly where it's all going to go. I think we've all been taken by surprise these last two to three years. Um, so I think that flexibility and versatility are going to be the names of the game when it comes to leadership, right? Mm -hmm. And recognizing that there are going to be opportunities. I think there's a lot of fear that comes with change mm -hmm. and understandably so, but there are also opportunities that are created. And so I think part of, to your point, being future thinking is looking forward and saying, okay, where are the opportunities going to be here? Where's that win going to be, right? Mm -hmm. And then seeking ways to cultivate those opportunities accordingly. And I, I agree on the flexibility. It's power, and it's it's the one thing that ev is here to stay through COVID. Um, people want it. They've had a taste of it, and they need, and organizations have to find a balance of um, what's going to work and how can we still keep a team? How do we cultivate relationships and, and performance, but also give people the opportunity to work from home when they have a sick kid or um, if they commute, you know, that, you know, what days do they need to be in the office and things like that, or things that we've never done before we can think about considering because what we've been doing that, you know, wasn't working. One of the beautiful things about COVID is that we did learn that we can do a lot of things remotely that, and we don't need to have as many meetings if they're not, um, productive. It can just be a report out. It can just be an email. 
<laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, it definitely has been an occasion to rethink all of our assumptions. Right. And I love the idea of rethinking. Uh, speaking of that, have you, have you read uh, Think Again by Adam Grant? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's Such one. good stuff. Yeah. yeah. I love that one. Well, I really appreciate it. I have a couple more questions to ask you. Um, let's just do a fill in the blank. Okay. Okay. Leadership, sure. leadership to you means? Leadership to me means, um, well, so, I mean, immediate words that come to mind, certainly versatility and flexibility, right? Um, but it's about finding the win. It's about finding the opportunities to advance the work of the people who report to you, right? And um, in, in pursuit of organizational goals. Awesome. Love that. Character to you means um, doing the same things when in the light of day and when no one's watching. Yeah, I love that. And one more diversity is so critically important. And I think something that organizations are now really understanding in its full breadth. Mm -hmm. I think we've had sort of a surface level understanding of it. Increasingly, I think we've got gotten deeper and deeper understandings of why it's important. And I think it's, it's got to be on the agenda for any organization. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely the way of the future. And there's so much research to support that diverse organizations are much more productive and have much more innovation. Um, and, and I love seeing that research coming out because it just points to the fact that we should be doing it, but it's also here's the why. Because let's face it, many people focus on the bottom line, <laughs> and but when it when it shows up on the bottom line and they and it and it points to diversity being key in that area, I think that's when people start to really listen. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate your time and your willingness to talk to us about negotiation. Um, I would encourage our listeners to check out Idaho State College of Business and some of the courses. Um, the course that he is teaching is through or is through SUIT, which is uh, Continuing Education and Workforce Training, which is not um, it, it's not an actual four credit course, right? It's um, it's a community course, so anybody right. could take that. You don't need to have any sort of um, application to get into the university through that program. So it's, I would be taking it. And I actually have somebody that I know that is taking it and I'm asking them to take some notes. I put it out on my social and I, I had somebody like, I'm taking it. I was like, great, let's get together afterwards to uh, debrief. And as soon as That's you have, awesome. yeah, as soon as you have more information about your guest, um, and when the talks, the public things, let me know so I can just share that out in case this podcast doesn't drop before the date of you know, February. So thank you so much and happy new year. And thank you all for listening to the Leader You podcast and to Dr. Bollinger and his wisdom on decision making and negotiation. Thank you.